this new generation of products that we built, whether it's Google or Facebook or Twitter, doesn't just touch the lives of those of us that are computer people or even just business people. It touches everybody. We didn't anticipate some of the unintended consequences of that. I'm Scott McGrew. Welcome to Sand Hill Road. John Hennessy is the chairman of the board at Alphabet, the parent company of Google, YouTube, and all that. He's the former president of Stanford University and still works on campus as part of his new organization, Knight Hennessy Foundation, which he co-founded with Nike founder Phil Knight. Here's my interview with John, the godfather of Silicon Valley. Reading your book, Leading Matters, you talk about humility in a leader. So keep that in mind when I point out that Mark Andreessen has called you the godfather of Silicon Valley. Are you the godfather of Silicon Valley? No, I don't think so. I think that's a bit of an overstatement. I've been blessed, fortunate to have the opportunity to be close to a lot of people who've done great things in the Valley. And I hope I positively influenced them as they went through their efforts to build uh, new companies and new technologies. All right. Lots of people have been helpful in the Valley. Why would we even entertain the idea that you are the godfather of Silicon Valley? Why would Mark Andreessen say that you are the godfather of Silicon Valley? Because he's a nice guy, I guess. It's, um, I, I, I think I've, been, I've, had, I've had one benefit that perhaps very few people in the Valley have had. I've had the opportunity to uh, work both in the Valley as an entrepreneur, uh, as well as work in the university where so many of these young entrepreneurs are educated. And that's a, that's a unique opportunity. And I think it's, it's determined to a large extent my impact uh, on the world. I, I find that we often talk, end up talking about uh, parents as I talk to leaders and things. And that is sort of a mix of your parents. Your, your father was an engineer, your mother was a teacher. And here you are, you have worked in, in computer sciences and you have been the head of a major university. You've mixed both. I have mixed both, and I think I've learned from both. What I learned during my time in the Valley helped make me a better leader of Stanford. Uh, it helped me deal with complexity and ambiguity and all the things that occur in startups. Um, they occur in all large, large organizations. So I learned how to deal with some of those things, how to deal with a crisis, which, of course, every startup goes through a crisis period. Um, universities go through them, too. Maybe not as frequently as startups, but they go through them. What, what's your worst startup crisis? Uh, we, uh, in one of the companies, we had to do a layoff because uh, we had overexpanded too fast. We had to do a layoff. And then uh, when we sat down and looked at everything, we only had about two weeks, three weeks left of cash left. So it was a nip and tuck to kind of pull the company through and figure out how to get it to survive. Having not led a company, I think that would be my biggest nightmare, would be hiring somebody, you know, showing them their desk and being so excited, showing them around the office. And then in some, you know, future time, a month, a year, 10 years later, handing them a box. That's got to be just, just gut-wrenching. It was one of the hardest things I ever had to do. You know, we had about 120 employees. We had to fire about 40. And then the CEO uh, asked me to get up. Uh, we gave out the pink slips on a Friday morning. He asked me to get up at the TGIF that Friday afternoon and tell everybody why this was still going to be a great company and they should stick with it. That was tough. That was tough. But you get through it. You learn a lesson. You can bring that lesson to other places uh, later in your life. 
Oftentimes, I've told people when they ask, you know, what is Silicon Valley? I want to make uh, Silicon Slopes. I want to make a Silicon Alley, whatever it happens to be. I give them three things, and and I'm going to lead with the most important one, which is Sand Hill Road in the name of this podcast, explaining to people that unless you have a center of money and a, and a network of connections. It's very difficult to replicate Silicon Valley anywhere else. The other one I give them is the weather. Uh, honestly, you know, people like to live in California. And the third is the schools. You've got Stanford, which you led, and then Cal Berkeley. So two incredibly great schools in a very small area. Would you agree with my assessment? Would you add something else to it? So what I would add is culture and two aspects of culture. One is a willingness to tolerate failure and accept failure. Of course, that's in the venture community, but it's an important part of the gestalt that really makes the Valley work. But the other is culture that embraces people from around the world. I mean, one of the amazing things of the Valley, you go and look at the people who become entrepreneurs, they come from all over the world. You can move here. Not only is the weather good, but wherever you come from in the world, you can find the kind of food you like. You can find people that come from that part of the world. And that makes a big difference. There are not that many places in the U.S. where that's true. I've often thought of American immigration as the kids who get to pick the soccer team on the playground. You remember that where you you chose, all right, I want Bill and I want Susie and et cetera. And it's almost as if America gets the first pick for the entire team, and then the other teams get to pick from there. Right. We are a gigantic importation of talent. And much of that comes through the universities initially, and they come here to get an education, and then they stay and contribute to our society. I am a big believer in that. I'm a, I take the view you ought to staple a green card to their diploma when they graduate from Stanford or Berkeley or any of our great universities. You're also the chairman of the board uh, at Alphabet. Um, the The Employees there have gotten spirited. Uh, you know, they say, bring your true self to work. Um, is that something that is a new phenomenon in Silicon Valley? Because Google employees in particular have given Google some pushback. Well, there was a massive walkout across the country and around the world at one of America's most prominent companies. Google employees revolting. We get more now from NBC's Joe Kent. I think what's happened is we're seeing the transformation of what was a very open, highly uh, consultative strategy inside the company. Um, and, and as the company grows, that becomes a more difficult strategy to manage. Um, and I think part of what we're seeing is that we're seeing some of the national strife reflected inside the company um, and some lack of trust in various elements of our government, which makes employees reluctant to engage in certain products and certain directions. Um, but I think we're also rebalancing things as we go along and um, certainly uh, putting more focus on on equality and equity and opportunity as for we young should. people. We should. Yeah. We should. You mentioned government. Uh, there's a point which I think we've attracted some government attention here in Silicon Valley and, and not positive government attention. Some of it is is – you know, a bit of uh, uh, puff of the chest, a bit of play acting in Congress. I'll show those young kids from California. But some of it is serious regulation that could be da coming down the pike. First, are we to blame for that? I mean, we we tweaked Washington for quite a few years. We, t we tweaked or ignored them often. I think we also uh, missed something else. 
this new generation of products that we've built, whether it's Google or Facebook or Twitter, doesn't just touch the lives of those of us that are computer people or even just business people. It touches everybody. We didn't anticipate some of the unintended consequences of that. Some of the crazy, you know, creating creating separate groups of people that are uh, uh, an entity to themselves that you create a walled garden out of this technology. We didn't we didn't see that consequence. And now we're paying some of the cost of that. So we've got to figure out how do we how do we think about both the goals as well as the unintended consequences of this technology. And is government regulation the answer? I think a role for government regulation, particularly first and foremost about security of information and ensuring. Yeah, I don't that think anybody would disagree with that. Yeah, Pro something about privacy, some uh, some way to do it. I think what we're going to have to do is we're going to have to get the industry to work with Congress, because if Congress, I don't think Congress is in a position to write that legislation on their own. They they they're they don't understand technology. They don't have the ability necessarily to look ahead and say, does this make sense? Uh, 50 years from now or even 20 years from now. And you just have to look at copyright law. I mean, our copyright law is stuck in the last, it's not even stuck in the 20th century, it's stuck in the 19th century. And we haven't been able to revise it in the way it needs to be revised in an era where digital replicas are all over the place. So we've got to, but industry is going to have to work with government to get that because it's going to have to, it's going to have to be a compromise and they're going to have to bring their knowledge to the table. You said back then that Facebook would always be free. Is that still your objective? Senator, yes. There will always be a version of Facebook that is free. It is our mission to try to help connect everyone around the world and to bring the world closer together. In order to do that, we believe that we need to offer a service that everyone can afford, and we're committed to doing that. Well, if so, how do you sustain a business model in which users don't pay for your service? Senator, we run ads. I see. We saw several instances, particularly when Mark Zuckerberg was talking to Congress, in which well-intended uh, members of Congress just didn't get it. And I, I fear one of the things that will happen with government is that government well may mean well, but they're not going to get it. Uh, and even that question goes to, well, and who regulates us? The FCC, the FTC, et cetera. And I suppose some people would run me out on a rail for even suggesting this. It's almost as if we need a new regulatory body that can handle the Googles and the Facebooks and the Apples. What do you think? Well, I think we need to think about what our legal system says. For, so, for example, um, if you look at the way we regulate political advertising on TV. We regulate it. And we have certain rules about how you charge people and what you can do. We have to think through what's the parallel for that in the in this di new digital world, this online social media world? Uh, how do we set that up? So I think we're, we're going to have to think these things through differently and get them in place. And think about not just the technology of today, but what's the technology of tomorrow? And are, do our regulations still make sense in that? Because Congress takes a long time to get something done in Congress. It takes a long time to get something fixed in Congress. So you want to try and get it right. Because this is audio, I will let the listener know you took a, a deep breath and, and thought about how to describe <laughs> Congress. Um, Let's talk about what Google is looking for. I, I, I approached this podcast mostly talking to venture capital, but also to entrepreneurs as well. And, and what does Google, when it goes and buys a company, 
What is it looking for? It surprised the heck out of me with, with Nest, for instance. I thought, well, that doesn't seem like much of a Google company. What does Google look for in startups and entrepreneurs? Well, I think first it looks it looks at the team, what kind of people, because um, that really determines the future of that technology. Will that will Google be able to build that into a bigger, more successful product line? Uh, and that depends very much on the people that are involved in it. What I really look for is is people who are innovators. I still remember, you know, we we had two great internet companies come out of Stanford: Yahoo and Google. In both cases. Uh, Dave and Jerry, and then Larry and Sergey, they were thinkers outside the box. They saw something that the rest of us didn't quite see. Uh, Dave and Jerry saw the explosion and the need to organize the internet. Uh, and Larry and Sergey saw that search could be a lot better than the products that existed there. I love that willingness of young people to think differently about problems. And that's what takes us forward. I still remember when we did the the acquisition of YouTube, which is one that on the face of it, here was a, YouTube was growing by leaps and bounds with no revenue though, no revenue. And I, I remember the compelling argument came down to video is to the next generation what email was to my generation. And that was a compelling argument that people could see. So sometimes you're looking for a fit in technology to, to take you in a new direction uh, that could round out what you offer. I think sometimes I still feel finally we're making progress on building a digital home that makes sense, that's easy to use. But for many years, look at how many failures we've had in that space. And now, you know, Google's building some things, Amazon's building some things. We're finally starting to get something that's usable in the home environment. Um, and I think Nest is a piece of that bigger picture. Amazon, I think, even though it does something really very separate from Google, I think is probably Google's biggest competitor, isn't it? Certainly one of. I mean, it's certainly not eventually Bing and Microsoft, right? But but we we normally think of of Google as a search engine with some interesting side projects, including a huge phone project, and Amazon as a place where you buy stuff. They don't seem to compete on face value, but I think that's fair to say, isn't it? Well, I think since Google derives a lot of its revenue from advertising and Amazon is in the business of retailing and also in the business of advertising, there's potential. They're both synergies and potential competition at the same time. If you walked into uh, a young startup at five people at computers, you know, on the doors that they build, uh, you know, on top of cinder blocks and could drop one bit of former Stanford president, uh, Google alphabet chairman knowledge on, uh, on that startup and then walk out the door, what would it be? I'd say, make sure you can tell me exactly what your technology is, why it's better and why you're going to be able to turn it into a major company. What regions do you think really could compete with Silicon Valley? My suspicion is you're going to say New York, but maybe you'll surprise me. No, I suspect New York uh, over time uh, will because it it has some of that culture um, that I mentioned earlier, right? It tolerates failure. There's certainly money, uh, as you mentioned, an important ingredient. And it's a place that attracts people from around the world, different cultures, different backgrounds, and, and they can uh, do well there. Uh, after that, uh, I think China. I think China will be the big competitor long term. 
You're, uh, Google is building a, a large center in San Jose, which has been largely uh, uh, well thought of. I think Google is a neighbor and San Jose understands in a way that New York did not maybe understand Amazon, the average New Yorker. Uh, what what do you think that's going to look like in, in San Jose, this this megapolis of, of Google in downtown? Well, I think what we have to do in our cities is make them both places where both people want to live and where people can work so that we get away from getting in cars and driving all over the place. And uh, if we don't solve our car problem in the valley, we're going to be hosed in the long term. So trying to build something that integrates a living community uh, that makes San Jose an attractive place to live downtown um, and that makes it interesting to, to live downtown. Uh, I think once you can do that, you can think about also building out office space and once that catches fire, you can really build something that's vibrant, right? Retail will depend on the fact that people are living down there, and you can and you can really build um, some things, which I think that San Jose's had a vision of doing this for many years. Uh, Adobe made a big step in, in moving it along. But I think we can do more uh, to make it a vibrant place. People really want to live in San Francisco. Well, let's make San Jose just as interesting a place to live. That may be a challenge. <laughs> it doesn't quite have the same views. Um, but, you know, there's no reason if we get people living downtown, it couldn't have great restaurants, couldn't have places to go. They you both know. have songs written about them. Uh, it's true. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> John Hennessy, chairman at Google's parent company, Alphabet. For more interviews with Silicon Valley's most influential entrepreneurs, check me out on TV at Press Here. If you're in the San Francisco area, that's Sunday mornings on NBC Bay Area and everywhere in the world on iTunes and at PressHereTV.com. <laughs>